Hello and welcome to another episode of An Engineer and a Rabbi Walk into a Podcast. I'm Nat Lokshan, the engineer. I'm Rabbi Daniel Rabin, the, the rabbi, and uh, welcome back. It's good to well, see you, Nat. It's been a while since we've actually had a chat. Yeah, but it's been good, you know, another lockdown under the belt. How are you? <laughs> Looking forward to um, getting back into services? I am, yeah. Look back to, I was back to shul yesterday morning. Uh, so the alarm rang. I was like, oh, can't we have another few days of lockdown? But then uh, then my, my yates had told my good inclination said, why do you stop moaning? Be proud. Be happy that you can be at shul. But it, it, it is, um, I'm, I feel bad for our Sydney colleagues and our Sydney friends and our Sydney community, this Sydney community who are in another month of lockdown. It just gives me anxiety thinking about that, that length of time, you know? Yeah, I was talking about this um, to a few other people recently. I haven't been following too much of how Sydney is locking down and containing, but remembering the dark days of our 100-plus Melbourne lockdown, which which wasn't easy, but I felt that um, because we were all together in it, there wasn't you know certain um, suburbs or LGAs as they call them having different restrictions. It you know you weren't jealous of your neighbours because they were just one council over. Um, and they had fewer restrictions than, than yourself. It's, it, it's really because it's a community saving exercise, right. To stop the spread, you need the whole community to be on the same page and working together. And I don't, I haven't been following that much of um, what Sydney's doing, but when we go into lockdown in, in Victoria and in Melbourne, it, it just seems, you know, we all know what to do. We're all doing it together. We're not doing anything different. Um, to places and we just knuckle down do it and um and then we get out of it it seems like now it's so interesting you mentioned that because it's a it's an interesting point in general um you know does it make things easier when you know you're not the only one going through something and i i would i would argue yes it does help it does help when you don't feel isolated and i think that's often you know when we look at any support group in general what is you're not going to support groups with people who have different issues to you you're going to support groups with people who have similar issues to you know and that's and it helps you know you alcoholics anonymous you don't go sit with people who you know have a, a fear of something else or have an issue or an, an addiction or something else you go to other people who can recognize your burden your struggle and it it brings some sort of comfort i, I think you know and interestingly in judaism sorry to, to to say one more point you know in judaism how do we comfort mourners we say and, and god forbid we shouldn't have to say this to anyone, I, I'm actually on my way to a funeral straight after our recording. But, you know, we say, may Hashem comfort you amongst all the other mourners of Zion and Yerushalayim. And like, you think to yourself, why do I have to mention other mourners of Zion and Yerushalayim, of Zion and Jerusalem? You know, what's the, what's the purpose of that? And uh, I think the, the, the idea, in, there's many interpretations, but one idea is that knowing that it's not, you know, not the only one who's experienced this, you're not the only one who's going through loss, does bring a, a little bit of, of, of comfort to a person. Well, in, interesting, um, you mentioning that and, and some things going through my head at the moment. When myself and, and my family have gone through some troubles, a lot of times people um, comfort you and say, you know, you'll get through this and it's just normal. Like this, it's, you're not the only, well, when someone who is not going through it just tells you, you're not the only one, this happens to a lot of people personally. I didn't actually feel that comforted when just being told that there's 
you know, you're not the only one. Many people go through this, this same sort of issue. But then to what your point and, and maybe the, the support group, it's not someone telling you you're not the only one going through it. It's being able to talk with the people going through it, listen, maybe they're at a different stage, they have a different coping mechanism or something else to, it gives you that platform to express your feelings of what you're going through, because even though you're not the only one, it's still hard on you at that time. Yeah, no, excellent point. And I think, you know, just in relation to what you said, I think there's uh, at many points in life, um, certainly I've had this experience when you hear people say comments to people going through difficult times, there's often misguided and it's not intentional. People are not trying to cause any harm, but it's, it's sometimes it's a, it's a lack of knowledge or it's a big, being a bit naive or just, unsure of what to say and they might say things like you know you'll get through it other people have gone through it i think that's a very very difficult line and i think the hamakom line is not specifically saying that i think it's just telling the person it's giving a sense of comfort to say there are other people there for you you know you there's other people who who are experiencing this not saying that they've gotten through it but there are other mourners and yeah look it might not work for everybody it might be i don't know if people necessarily hear it in that way but it does lead me to a question um which I've heard debated in many circles in different areas. And it's related to what we just said. You know, if you were looking for a counselor, a psychologist or a, a mental health professional, you know, would you want someone who's been through what you've been through? You know, do you want a doctor that, that's gone through your struggle? And I remember when I was doing my master's in psychotherapy and counseling, one of, the, one of the lecturers brought this discussion up and it was interesting to hear my fellow students at the time debating this, you know, and saying, you know, let's say, ah, oh, God forbid, I'd gone through uh, the loss of a parent when, you know, when I was young, would it be easier if, if the psychologist that I'm speaking to or the counselor I'm speaking to has also experienced the loss? Or is it irrelevant? Does it not make a difference? And what my conclusion at the time was really it's about empathy. What makes somebody have the ability to understand your situation is empathy. If you can try and feel the other person and feel their pain, then it makes you a better counselor, makes you a better psychologist. So naturally, I think if you've, if you've personally been through uh, a similar incident, and of course, there's no two incidents which are the same, but a similar crisis or a similar loss or a similar in, uh, occurrence, I think it just allows your empathy to be more real and uh, your empathy to, to be more switched on. But that being said, you know, you don't have to necessarily find a psychologist who's been through every experience that you've been through because it's not humanly possible, perhaps. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, a lot of things going through my head at the moment. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of focus on mental health in today's age, as it should be. Um, and I think that's really good. It's something that may have been stigmatized for a while. And maybe, you know, podcast this or, or other are, are spreading the word. But I feel that um, just listening to what you're saying and being able to empathize. And, um, but I'm thinking to the TV shows and stuff I'm watching, the view of a counselor, a shrink psychologist or whatever, they sit down and it's like one minute of the person telling them what the problem is. And then the counselor, you know, is able to give this, you know, two line bit of wisdom, which changes their whole perspective on life. And I, I don't think that is practical. And I don't think that really happens. And to find, I do think it would be empathy um, and then it's it's also the way of how a counselor could frame the assistance that that person need needs at that time. So whether or not it's someone who's gone through the same experience, 
but you know every every human's going to be different and you need someone who's not going to just look through the list of this you know this is the problem therefore this is what you tell the patient and this is the answer someone who can be a bit more constructive yeah and i think that's right i think it doesn't doesn't have to be um someone who who has been through that although there, there is interesting interestingly you do look at some psychologists or counselors who do take particular interest because of their life experience I, I, we had a when i was um president of the rabbinical council of victoria we had a uh, a session on we had a, a course on grief and bereavement and the person we had chosen um she runs the grief and bereavement counseling uh school or whatever it is and she lost a child when she was young and she said i mean she lost a young child when you know when she was a mother she had another child as well but she lost a, one of her children and she said it changed her for life and she decided she wanted to go into counseling others and in particular her niche was counseling people who who god forbid had lost children so they had that relatable connection you know in that area in particular i think it's one of those areas where god forbid if someone's been through it, they say that you can't understand it until you've been through it. You know, whereas other things, maybe if you haven't been through it, you could you could sort of relate, feel. But there's a beautiful story of um, Reb Shmuel of Lubavitch. They say that when he used to counsel people or people came to him for private meetings, he would be drenched in sweat at the end of the meeting, like literally drenched as if he had sort of run a marathon. And his students asked him, they said, you know, Rebbe, why are you so drenched in sweat? Every time you counsel someone, and he replied and he said, you know, when the person comes into my office, they tell me their problem. But how do I truly understand their problem? I've got my own life. I've got my own experiences. I've got my own issues going on. So I've got to get out of my clothes, metaphorically. I've got to get changed into their clothes, feel what it's like for them. Then I've got to get back out of their clothes, get changed back into my clothes. So I can now use my wisdom and my experience to try and give them some support. And then I tell them something. But then they throw me a curveball and they say, well, what about this? And I'm like, oh. I really got to feel what you mean. And he says, you know, if you if in, in 15 minutes, if you're getting changed and unchanged 150 times, you're going to be sweating. And I always found, I told that story actually in one of my um, essays at the time in, in one of my um, subjects. And the, the lecturer was really, they really loved that story. They said, that's, that's a true psychology story, a true counseling story where the person really wanted to feel the other person to understand what, you know, what it feels like in their shoes. And of course, no matter how much you try, you'll never really do that. But the more you try, the better you'll be at your job in this in this area. Yeah, and and to bring it back, you know, we we as Australia are there for New South Wales, you know, at least Victorians, we've we've been through that, we've gone through that. We can um, we know the feelings. It's it's hard, especially when you know the next update is another four weeks of lockdown. Yeah. Um, it it's and we're it, not out of it. I mean, I think we're all. I think all of us are. We we've got our guard up. You know, we're ready. We're ready for the next lockdown. I don't think anyone in Victoria believes this is just going to be clean slate from now. I think we're all gearing for there to be a Herald Sun to write lockdown, possibly coming cases of spread. And we all know once the Herald Sun says it, they they have they must have a relationship with the government because they I've never found a time when they've been wrong. No, every, they, they... Every, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, they must they must have a either the government uses them to get their message out early or someone's got a source there, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure both of those are true. Um, and, and, yeah. you know, I, I was, I was talking to work colleagues, they've got a, a running tally, um, a bet going on of when our next lockdown will be. <laughs> so it's absolutely no, no one's thinking we're out of the woods yet. So, 
And yeah, and I look, I think that, you know, it's, I did hear a few comments. Oh, you know, I don't care about New South Wales. You know, they were, they were laughing at us when we were in lockdown. And I, I don't like that attitude, to be honest, you know. And in life, you know, Judaism says we're not allowed to take revenge on someone else. And I think that applies in any regard, you know. And so to, to have a smug attitude and say, oh, you know, we've been through it, you know. Oh, you know, yours is not so bad. We had it for months and months. It's not helpful to them. It's not helpful to yourself, to be honest. Um, and you never know when you might you might be in it again. So don't uh, don't. It's never good to be smug about anyone else's situation. I had a I had a, a guest the other week um, who was talking about the situation in South Africa. You know, and and he got a bit upset. He said, you know, he was looking at other comments on Facebook from people who had already immigrated and left South Africa and saying, oh, thank God we left and like you should get out of there. And he and he just found that it was very smug again how people were not being empathetic and not saying that, you know, some people may not want to leave. Some people can't leave, you know, and don't come with a, a, an air of arrogance at someone else's plight, you know, and I think it's important in any area, in any, in any instance. Have, have we as humans always been that arrogant? Like you're a man of the Torah studying, you know, our philosophy and the books for thousands of years, especially lots of written word for, you know, at least the last thousand, nine hundred years. Like, is that a, a human trait? Um, as far as you think? I, I always love, when I get questions like this, I always think, you know, if you want to understand anything, you go to the book of Bereshit. You go to the, the, all the first human beings because ultimately, if you want to see what is the, the real human reaction and what is our innate response to things and our innate personality and our innate inclinations, certainly from a Jewish perspective, is, is what it says in the Torah because these were the first human beings. They were, as they were, created that's how they responded so that's the innate you know we've been corrupted and and influenced and changed over de- generations but i think that very primal and what is the one of the first stories that happened in the torah obviously we have adam you know saying it's her fault it's her problem it's not mine or I'm, I, you know and she blaming the snake so there's already this this innate ability to to push off your problems onto someone else and to be smug about it you know even adam says to god he says this is the woman you gave me, mate. Like, it's not my fault. It's your problem, you know? And it's not necessarily necessarily directly related to your question, but I think it does give you an insight into human nature. Is that a sense of jealousy, smugness at times? You know, the, when uh, Cain and Abel, again, there's this jealousy. You know, God, you give, you're taking his offering. What about mine? You know, what about me? So I think these are all that's those same traits about that ego, me, I, what about me? How do I, how should I feel as long as I'm okay? And that, that hasn't changed over the, over the centuries, over the millennia, you know? They, um, this, this podcast has become very psychological and, and going that deep. And the one thing that um, always gets me um, from, from the parasha is, is when the, the Jews are in the desert and, you know, Hashem is providing mana from heaven and everything. And they start complaining, you know, you know, wouldn't you have just left us in Egypt? We had fish and cucumbers and, you know, we were slaves, but we had places to sleep and eat. Like the, the ability for the human mind to take horrible tragedies and hardships that were in the past and reflect on them as not being easy. I think maybe Victorians are reflecting on 100 days of lockdown and going, we did it. It, was, it wasn't that bad. It was hard. But look, we could do it again. 
you know, and as you said, you go back to the Torah thousands of years ago and it's written down. You find, you find all of human nature and you, you forgot one very important point that you mentioned when you said cucumbers and fish. You think the Chinese or the Japanese invented sushi, right? The, the Jews were having sushi in Egypt. So they were craving sushi. That's what they were saying. They were saying, Moses, we don't want manna bread. We want sushi. <laughs> but nothing's changed as well. But you're right. Look, we, we have we have spoken quite philosophical, psychological, but that's beautiful. But maybe, maybe Nat, you'll be the first person to invent a machine. Um, well, I know they have artificial intelligence, and we spoke about it briefly at some point, I think, maybe for another week. But, you know, do you think a computer will ever truly understand human emotion? Do you think it will ever happen that there'll be, without us programming the responses? So, I mean, I don't think, I don't think anything else but a human can feel... The way we do, of course, animals have their own human, their own feelings, but a human feeling, I'm not sure if a robot or a computer can ever truly understand it, but maybe time will tell and show something differently. I don't know. Well, recent developments and, and announcements in AI is moving from sort of human programmed responses. And so being able to understand what the, the human is saying in the AI you know, choosing from some sort of pre-canned and program responses. And then the next AI is actually it learning it. So so no human is actually telling you if if someone asks this question, you know, respond with this answer, it's figuring it out a bit better. So those advancements are coming. Will it ever be, will an AI ever be able to truly feel a human? I mean, it will never be true because it's not human, a human emotion, but there are programs out there that, at least are are either programmed, but they're able to spark the right questions to the humans asking them to at least make yeah. that human develop their emotions. So it's not right. maybe being empathizing with the human, but not an AI psychologist, but at least an AI listener, someone who can hear what someone's going through and ask the right follow-up questions. That that AI is definitely here and something at least, you know, when people are feeling lonely and they don't know what's going on, at least there's someone and, and, and especially I think people would be more comfortable asking certain questions and expressing feelings to an AI, knowing that there's not a, a human on the back end that might think of them less or anything, but th they can at yeah, least express their true self. So I don't think the AI will feel true emotion, but they may be able to, um, allow us to find our deeper true emotions very good well it's been it's been wonderful as always i, I unfortunately have to make my way to a funeral um and we should only celebrate simchas going forward um and we look forward to you guys joining us as always please share any feedback if there is any and uh we 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 mentioned last week or i mentioned at least last week about possibly bringing a guest every now and again Someone did take me up on the offer. I forgot to mention to you, Nat. Ah. Um, so I'll I'll call you uh, next week or tomorrow, or whatever, and just discuss whether we want to um, invite this particular person um, onto our show. I don't see any reason why not to, but obviously you are my co-host, so I can't make any bilateral or unilateral decisions, as they say. This is a democracy. This is not a, a dictatorship. So I will discuss it with you, and then uh, we might invite someone next on next time or in a few weeks' time. So. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, look after yourselves. And until uh, next time. All and the you best too, Rabbi. And all the listeners. Thank you. See you, man. Bye.